So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Proverbs 17, 17. Um, we'll be looking at multiple scriptures, though. So that's just more of our, our uh, jumping off point, I guess you could say. So we'll look at, um, I'll read two, two, two verses this morning to start. Um, one is Proverbs 7, 17, 17, and then the other is Proverbs 18, 24. So Proverbs 17, 17, this is God's word. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And then 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is God's word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, the gift uh, of friendship. And I pray that you, uh, you God, would, would teach us what that means today. That, that through, these, through your word um, and through the words that I speak, that we would have an even deeper understanding um, of the reality of our need of friends, of community. And so, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand, give us hearts um, to, 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 to open to what you have to show us um, from your holy word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the chorus of the Beatles' 1966 hit, Eleanor Rigby, says this, All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? So that song was, was written well before a lot of you were born, most of you in the room, uh, 56 years ago. And sadly, while those words were true then, they are, I believe, even more true today. The number of people who say they don't have a single close friend has quadrupled over the past 30 years. And most of those people are men. Because among men, this number has quintupled over the last 30 years. One out of four people say they haven't made a new friend in the last five years. And 25% of people surveyed say they have no one to talk to. We're living lonelier and more isolated lives. A lot of that has to do with our attraction to technology and uh, fake friends that we have on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and things like that. Um, the, 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 the pandemic a couple of years ago taught us uh, that loneliness is not a good thing, but some of us still are holding on to that. And loneliness has become such a problem that um, in her day, Mother Teresa, who spent her life among the, the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, said that the worst disease was not leprosy, not AIDS, not cancer, but loneliness. And even more recently, the former Surgeon General of the United States, Vivek Murthy, in his book Together, says that loneliness has reached epidemic status. So much so that he took on loneliness during his time in office under President Obama as the health crisis to address in America. Of all things, heart disease, cancer, and everything else, he chose to address loneliness. And he writes this, Quite simply, human relationship is as essential to our well-being as food and water. 
Just as hunger and thirst are our body's ways of telling us we need to eat and drink, loneliness is the natural signal that reminds us when we need to connect with other people. So friendship is crucial for us. But if it's so crucial for us, why do we have such a hard time with it? Why do we have a hard time finding friends and and making friends and keeping friends? Well, C.S. Lewis, in his uh, famous collection of essays titled The Four Loves, some of you have probably read this, speaks of friendship as one of these four loves. The other three are affection, eros, and charity. But Lewis says this about why friendship is so hard. He says, to the ancients, the ancient, ancient world, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. That's on friendship. The modern world, that's you and me, in comparison, ignores it. We ignore it. So for those in times past, friendship wasn't an option, it was a necessity. Yet friendship today, sadly, is the one relationship that a lot of people are least likely to experience. Because individuality is the gospel of our culture, isn't it? We're told almost every day, you do you, you are the master of your destiny. You need nobody else. But even so, maybe you end up with a few good friends, that, and that's icing on the cake. But if not, most of us think, that's not a big deal. I'll be okay. I don't really need friends, which is simply a lie. We all need friends. Why? Why do we need friends? Well, because God designed us to have them. He created us to, to know others and to be known by others. And none of you are exempt from that. The one thing in the Garden of Eden before the fall that wasn't good, if you remember, was man's loneliness. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So I want to examine this topic of friendship by asking three questions of it. One is, what is it? What is friendship? It's always good to define the terms. Second is, why do we need it? Why do we need friendship? And then third, how do we get it? How do we make friends? So what is it? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? So first, what is it? So before we can understand why we need it and how we get it, I think the most important thing we need to do first is to define what we are talking about. What exactly is friendship? I had a, um, one of my kids, I asked them, I've been asking people um, in, in preparation for the sermon, what is friendship? Most people look at me with a blank stare or say, I don't know, or they give me some superficial surface answer. And one of my kids yesterday, I pressed him on it and said, what is friendship? And he said, uh, it's when someone truly cares about you and they don't, they're not just friends with you because they see you every day. I thought that was profound. I was like, that's a, perfect, that's a perfect definition of what it means to be a friend. So we have a hard understanding of it. So when defining something, I always think it's important to start by saying what it is not. So a friendship is not, first, a one-sided relationship. 
It, it takes two or more people pursuing each other. Now, I understand sometimes in friendship, this may, uh, this may be equally at times where you're, you're both, you're both on it. You're both pursuing each other. You feel loved by this other person. They feel loved by you. But there's also times in friendship where that will be unequal. Your friend may be going through a hard season and they may not be able to put in as much effort as you can, but you are still called to be their friend. So a friendship is not one-sided. It's two people pursuing each other. Second, a, re- a friendship is not a relationship that is, that is only had when things are going well. So the first part of our proverb, 1717 says, a friend, a true friend, loves at all times. At all times. When things are going great, when things are going really bad. They still love you. So a friend is different than a family member. If, it, Proverbs is, this is a unique proverb um, because of when it was written, because this is written in a culture where family was number one. Family came first whether you liked them or not. I mean, some of the stories in the Bible are just like that. Family always came first. So for, for Solomon to write these words, a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity was countercultural. Because a friend is different than a family member because they both love you and like you in all seasons, not just when things are going well. A friend loves at all times. They are constant. So this means a fair-weather friend who's only there when, when things are going well for you or when things are going well for them. Um, and they, you know, they have everything they need. They have all the money they need in the bank and their job's going well and everything around them is, is going well. And they say, well, I want to hang out or I want to be your friend. A fair-weather friend like that isn't a friend. It isn't a friend. So thirdly, Friendship is not a relationship built on itself. So this will make more sense when I give you a more formal definition of friendship. But this simply means that you can't just have a friendship built on having a friendship. It won't work. So Jonathan Holmes in his book, The Company We Keep in Search of Biblical Friendship, which I highly recommend, says, quote, Sin can quickly make friendships about us to the exclusion of God. When a non-Christian peers into our friendships, is he or she able to see the outlines of the gospel story, the good news of Jesus Christ? When our friendships exist for our own pleasure, in our own comfort, in our own relational happiness, rather than a communication of God's love and mercy in the gospel, we're telling the story badly, and we may be telling the wrong story altogether. So now that we know in some ways, what it isn't. Let's jump into what friendship is. And the first thing we have to recognize is that friendship is biblical. Friendship is biblical. And because it's biblical, it's something that we all need. So Proverbs 17, 17 and uh, Proverbs 18, 24 are not the only verses in the Bible that talk about friendship. It's a relationship that we see woven throughout the scriptures. And Proverbs talks about it probably the most but it is a relationship that we see throughout the Bible. One major example is the friendship between David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So some of you are familiar with this story about David and Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. Saul did not like David, but 
through God's grace, by God's grace, David and Saul's son Jonathan became close friends, intimate friends. So much so that David and Jonathan's uh, friendship has come under scrutiny by certain scholars saying that it's a homosexual relationship. But I would quickly point out that this sort of understanding of this relationship that Jonathan and David have is reading our modern culture into an ancient culture. And so that's where we begin to misinterpret the Bible because we want it to, to say exactly what it says today. Which, as I said earlier, ancient cultures saw friendship as necessity. They didn't, they didn't look at friendship the way in which we look at friendship. It was one of the greatest of all loves that any man or any woman could have. And so the reason anyone would say, uh, would see David and Jonathan's friendship as anything more than just a friendship does not understand what true biblical friendship is. So C.S. Lewis says the reason why modern people either disregard friendship as unneeded or, or say to that, to, that a firm and serious friendship uh, like David and Jonathan's has to be homosexual is that few value friendship like this because few experience friendship like this. And so when you see it, you're automatically, in your heart, kind of defensive. And you start to say things that are wrong about friendship because you don't understand it because you've never had it. So David and Jonathan's friendship is a perfect example of this. Their their friendship exemplifies what the Bible says about it and what it should be. 1 Samuel 18.3 says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. They were were so uh, enraptured with each other as friends that they covenanted together, that they made promises together as friends. And the reason they did this is because Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's friendship. Do you have friends like this? Do you have friends that you could say, I can covenant with these people? Don't don't worry about that comment. Somebody said no over here. A kid did. He's right. Most of us don't. But do you have friends like that? And and know if you're married, your spouse doesn't count this time. Do you have intimate friends like that? C.S. Lewis says a friendship is birth when one person says to another, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. And that is exemplified even more when these two friends are Christians. St. Augustine in his confessions writes of a dear friend he had before coming to faith in Christ. And although Augustine and his friend were very close, he makes the distinction that true friendship must have Christ at the center. He writes this, he says, no friends are true friends, unless you, my God, bind them fast to one another through that love which is sown in our heart by the Holy Ghost who was given to us. So I want to be clear to say that I am, I'm going to define friendship biblically. Because like marriage, friendship is something that God has created. Friendship is His doing. As John Calvin says, without the gospel... Everything is useless in vain. And and friendship definitely falls into the everything category. We need the gospel in our friendships. Because biblically shaped and embodied friendship all flows from our faith in Christ. 
So I'll use a definition that I think is helpful, accessible, and clear, and it comes from uh, a pastor, Jason Harris, who's the pastor of uh, Central Church in New York City, but he defines friendship in this way, and I think it's very helpful. I'll say it a couple of times if you want to copy it down. But he says, friendship is a shared bond that arises from a deep unity of spirit and a common purpose. Friends see the same truth and travel the same road toward the same destination. Let me read that again. Friendship is a shared bond that arises from a deep unity of spirit and a common purpose. purpose. Friends see the same truth and travel the same road toward the same destination. So friends that have a shared bond that arises from a deep unity of spirit and a common purpose are friends who are first and foremost looking to Jesus, not other people, as the author and finisher of their faith. These are friends that see this as the ultimate purpose of life and have given their lives over to this mission. So everything about friendship is to be grounded in this. So as the British monk uh, Allred wrote in his work on friendship in the 12th century, so this is, nothing is new under the sun, folks. This has always been an issue, friends. But he writes this, And so in friendship are joined honor and charm, truth and joy, sweetness and goodwill, affection and action, and all these take their beginning from Christ, advance through Christ, and are perfected in Christ. So a true friendship should be a reminder to you and to your friends of the goodness and graciousness of Jesus. That's a true friendship. Which answers begins to answer our second question, why do we need it? Why do we need friendships? Well, the first reason we need friendships is that the world is broken and life is hard. And we can't go at it alone. C.S. Lewis says, Hence, if you will not misunderstand me, the exquisite arbitrariness and irresponsibility of this love of friendship. I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow, no necessity. Friendship is unnecessary like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, for God did not need to create any of it. It has no survival value, but listen to this. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. So friendship is a gift that God has designed and given to us to have people to walk alongside us through this bumpy road of life. You need friends in your life that will help you navigate the stresses and the strains of life that do and will come up. You need friends that are willing to process life with you, relationships and vocational goals and sins that you may be struggling with. I mean, we see this modeled in Jesus' own life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember, Jesus acknowledged his needs, his need of friends to stand with him during his darkest hour, during his hardest moment of his earthly life. He calls on his friends to pray with him, but then laments the fact that they do not. 
These are men who, who walked and labored right alongside him for three years. Can you imagine how close you would be if you, if you lived with them, a friend, for three years, and you were with them in every sort of trial? You got to see their reaction in, in, in everything. How close you would be. These are the friends that Jesus had. Yet they abandoned him when he needed them most. I mean, not only that, but you have Judas who betrays him with a kiss. And then Peter denies him completely. So how much more do we need friends in the brokenness of this world if Jesus, our Savior, needed friends? We all need friends. So the second reason we all need friends is that we are broken. We are broken people, not just the world, but we are broken. So we need friends who will tell us the truth about ourselves. We don't need more people in our lives who just tell us what we want to hear. We don't need more people in our lives just, just that we have just to pat us on the back and say, you're doing a good job. We need actual friends who will tell us the truth about ourselves. Those are true friends who can do that. These are people who, who are not going to just uh, always tell you that you're great. They're not always just going to just bypass the sin that is in your life, but these are people who are going to, to, to point these things out. And if you don't want friends like that, if you just want friends who are just going to do that, then you are not desiring true friendship. Because that's not how biblical friendship works. So Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So this means a true friend is willing to take the risk of wounding you so that you will grow in Christ. That's a true friend. So we need friends who care so much for us that they don't allow us to stay just as we are. So we need, we need to be a friend who is uh, also who is not afraid to wound for the sake of love. So many times we think, well, if I, do, if I say this thing to them, which is very clearly true and obvious, they will not be my friend anymore. And if that's where you're at, you're probably not in a good friendship if you think they will leave you because of that. But we need to be friends like that, and we also need to have friends that we know will wound us for the sake of love. So is that the kind of friend you want? Is that the kind of friend that you want who, who, who will know you so intimately that they can, they can point out the sin in your life because they love you that much? And then when you do have that, because I think a lot of us would probably say, you know, with a little hesitation, you'd probably say, yes, that's, that's the type of friends I want. You know, that's going to be, that's going to be hurtful. So, so for that, we need to be someone, if we said yes to that, who will receive it when you do get that wound upon you by your friend. You receive it and you won't abandon the friendship because of it. Because if that's who you are, then you are not in a true life-giving friendship. If your immediate response to a wounding is to run and to get upset with that person and not to be friends with them anymore, that was never a friendship to begin with. So like a surgeon who has to take the knife to your flesh to get at your heart to make you better, so are the wounds of a trusted friend. 
They wound you in order to heal you by sharing the truth in love with you. So King David says this in Psalm 141.5. This was a man who had a hard time uh, with friends. Um, but he says this, Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. And then listen to this, Let my head not refuse it. Let my head not refuse the wounds of a friend of a righteous person. So now we know what friendship is a little bit and why we need it. Now, how do we get it? How do we, how do we get friends like this? Well, when you were a kid, I'm sure it was probably easy for you to make friends. So you simply would walk up to that, that kid in your, in your class or in your neighborhood and you just said, do you want to be friends? You just asked the question, do you want to be friends with me? And it usually worked out but not so much as we get older. We're not that vulnerable. I think that's a, I think that's a big reason why Jesus says uh, to have faith like a child. He always uses children as illustrations. We might want to put that into practice. Again, it's to say, do you want to be friends to people in our lives? Anyways, that's a side note application. But it has become, so it seems, increasingly difficult to make friends as, uh, as we grow older. So I want to offer you some application points to how we can do this better, okay? The first is to pray. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course you would say that. It's very spiritual of you. But it's serious. You should pray for friends. Begin by asking God to give you friends. And then understand this. God is your heavenly father. He is your heavenly father. He, you are, if, you are a, if you have given your life to Christ, if he has saved you from your sin, you are called a child of God, a son or daughter, and God is your father. And so God is the best father of all, and he longs to give his children good things. That's what he does. And friends are one of those good things, one of those good gifts that he longs to give to you. So be confident in your prayers for them. And then... After that, after you've prayed and you're confident in your prayers for friends that God is going to give them to you, then be open to who God brings your way. So have your eyes open. Because the people that God may bring to you may not necessarily be the same age as you or in the same stage of life as you. They, married, married folks, they could be single. Single folks, they could be married. Um, uh, married people without kids, they could be married people with kids, or it could be uh, one of the high school kids in, in here, or, uh, or just you know somebody that you never expected to have as a friend could be that friend that God has chosen for you. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in The Four Loves. <laughs> I'm expositing The Four Loves today. That's what I'm doing. So, um, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. Okay? But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, 
ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding, finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. So be open to who God has chosen for you to be your friend. So pray. Second thing is to pursue. So in his book, True Friendship, which is another great little book on, I think one of our mission communities is, is about to go through this book, uh, by Vaughn Roberts, who's a pastor in England, says to, uh, to be two things when pursuing friendship. One, he says to be discerning. And the other, he says to be deliberate. Be discerning and be deliberate. So first, be discerning. Because it's very easy, especially when you are feeling lonely, and I know some of you are feeling lonely, Um, And so it's very easy, and the temptation lies there when you feel that loneliness, is to choose any person that crosses your path as a friend. So we need to be discerning about that. C.S. Lewis again, he says, Friendship can be a school of virtue, but also a school of vice. It's ambivalent. It makes good men better and bad men worse. So you can choose bad friends. Proverbs 13.20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Paul says to the Corinthian church, and he's speaking into this church discipline situation, but he says, bad company corrupts good morals. So some of you may have a lot of friends, or you think they're friends, but if we were to look closely at their character, we would quickly see that they are the wrong friends. Because they're not friends who are, who are pushing you closer to Jesus, but they're actually pushing, pushing you further away, whether you know it or not. So Von Roberts says, it's good to have a range of friendships, but our closest friends should be with, be with those who share our highest goals and help us live up to them. So as a Christian, Your highest goal or your chief end, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is your highest goal. And you need friends around you who have this exact same goal. You need them. So I would urge you, for starters, to take a look around here at Christ the King Church for these types of friends. These are people, if you're a member here, that you have already covenanted covenanted with. You've already made a covenant with them. You've already said that you are going to do certain things uh, with these people and towards these people, and you've agreed for them to do the same back to you. So this is a great place to start. The actor, we would be, uh, I would, I would do, uh, do this sermon injustice if I didn't quote somebody from the TV show Friends. But the actor David Schwimmer, who plays Ross in this 90s TV sitcom, um, Friends, uh, says this. He says, it's a fantasy for a lot of people, having a group of friends who become like family. And I think he's right for the most part. It, it, is, it is a fantasy for most of, the, most of the world. But for those who are committed Christians... 
and also committed and active members of a local church body, a local church family, the fantasy should be a reality. Because the church, because in the church, you are surrounded by people who embody our definition of friendship. Again, friendship is a shared bond that arises from a deep unity of spirit and a common purpose. Friends see the same truth and travel the same road toward the same destination. So that's friendship in the church. The the second thing when pursuing friendship is to be deliberate. So be discerning and be deliberate. So this is why the sermon is titled uh, The Liturgy of Friendship, because liturgy um, means the work of the people. So so this means uh, friendship requires time and effort. Friendship doesn't happen by accident. So if you were a person who is sitting there and just waiting for people to come to you to be your friend, it will never happen. It will never happen. So Hugh Black, who wrote, a, who wrote a pretty famous work called Friendship, says, We lament that we have no staunch and faithful friend when we have not really expended the love which produces such. We want to reap where we have not sown. The secret to friendship is just the secret of all spiritual blessings. The way to get it is to give. So in other words, the way to have good friends is to be a good friend. Again, Von Roberts says, instead of lamenting that no one invites you to a meal, that our church is so unfriendly and that everyone relates at such a superficial level, I've heard all of those things, let us take the initiative, let us take the initiative to open our homes and open our lives and see what happens. You could do that today. Right after the service, I would encourage you, meet someone, even though we are, not a, uh, we are not a huge church by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm sure there are people in here that you have never met. And that might be God's chosen friend for you. And you don't even know it yet. So meet someone after the service who, who you've never met before and ask them to lunch today or have them over for dinner this evening or sometime this week or go grab coffee with them to get to know them better. That might be that friend for you. The risk is worth it. Be deliberate in your pursuit of friends. So in closing, let me me read again our second proverb, because I haven't talked much about that yet, but Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin. So that could be all sorts of people, friends, acquaintances, family members, all of that. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So now this verse sounds uh, somewhat counterintuitive to everything that I have just said. I thought we wanted more friends. I thought we wanted more people around us. But here's, here's what this is saying. Friends and companions and acquaintances and family members uh, may leave you. And they will. But you have one friend that will never leave you. A true friend. So maybe you are experiencing loneliness right now. You've you've had a new baby and sometimes that can be isolating. Or you've just moved here. You've moved from a different city or a different part of the country and you, and you you feel lonely. Let me just remind you of this as you wait for those chosen friends and pursue those chosen friends. Jesus... 
It's the friend who sticks closer than anyone else in all the world could stick to you. Any friend, any family member. Because sadly, uh, sometimes friendships have to end. Either they end through hard circumstances, so, so hurt or is involved, a, a move takes friends away, or you are taken away from friends, or even death. And sometimes loneliness is very real and very present in our lives. But this is the reality of living in a broken world, and it's why we have Proverbs 18.24 that reminds us of a friend who doesn't leave us. Because in the New Testament, we are told that Jesus, God the Son, God incarnate, calls you friends. He is your friend. So we must be careful in our pursuit of friendship to not forget that, uh, that no person or, or, or no BFF could ever replace the friendship that you have with Christ. That is not what friendship is meant to do. It is not meant to replace your relationship with Christ. It is meant to push you further up and further into your relationship with Christ. That's what biblical friendship's about. Because Jesus truly is the friend that sticks closer to you than a brother does. He is the friend who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And he is the friend that laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus, through his death on the cross, befriends you so you can now go and be friends with others. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we have a friend who does love at all times. We have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, uh, and that friend is Jesus. And so I pray that even as we are, are challenged to, um, to pursue friendships um, and to make friends with others, that that would be what our, that Jesus would be our foundation, that his friendship to us, broken sinners, would be the foundation to all of the friendships that we pursue, to the friendships that we currently have. So that you would, you would, that you would bring, um, people like that to us, um, even now, even today, Lord, that you would provide friends for us, all of us. That you would provide those sorts of friends who are, who are willing to take the risk with us because Jesus did. That you, that you would provide friends for us who are willing to, to, uh, to, to poke and to prod into our lives so that we might grow closer to Jesus and that we would be a friend like that as well. So God, I pray that you would do that in us, in this church, we pray today, in Jesus' name, amen.